Frohe Weihnachten. Merry Christmas. You know, there's one thing that happens at Christmas that uh, uh, passes most of us by, and that is some people have birthdays at Christmas that nobody notices. Happy birthday, Gordon. <laughs> Are there any others here? Christmas Day or... Whatever. Oh, back there. Okay, all right. Right on. Happy birthday to you, too. Now we'll get on with Christmas. <laughs>
Good morning. Isn't that a marvelous and wonderful welcome this morning? To have the singers sing. Yes. And I want to thank uh, Marilyn for the uh, musical prelude as well. And once again, the singers. It is wonderful. This is Christmas morning, and a special welcome to all of you and uh, that have been uh, got up early this morning to join us, and, uh, and also to those that will join us later in the week on YouTube. We welcome you. We are blessed to celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and uh, I want to give, uh, also want to give you our pastors and church leadership team special recognition for getting this program put together on short notice. Uh, this has been a real challenge this week due to the cha- ever-changing COVID regulations. On announcements... I want to remind you that there will be a regular church service tomorrow, that Sunday morning, starting at 9.15 in the morning. And I also have another special announcement, and that is in regards to Bill Harder. And he came home yesterday from the hospital, and he would like to thank the congregation for all their prayers And he said it was a miracle that he recovered and also thanked the staff at Boundary Trails. So that is, he feels that's a miracle. And uh, we uh, believe in the prayers that uh, we offered and we say, thank you, Lord. Christmas uh, is always a special time for families, and I'm sure there are many parents that have already been up early and uh, with their family, with their children, uh, giving and receiving gifts. But let's not forget to share the true meaning of Christmas while we are together and um, I would like to share Second Timothy three fourteen and fifteen, and uh, as instruction to us. Second Timothy three fourteen and fifteen, and it says, "But as for you, continue in what you have learned, and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it." And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So teaching from one generation to the next is important. And the teaching of the celebration of the birth of baby Jesus the prophecy of his coming and the jubilation of his arrival. So let us pray. 
Lord, we come to you this morning with joyful hearts. We praise and thank you in giving us a Savior, and for those who reach out to receive him, a promise of an eternal home in heaven. Receive our praises praises in music and song. We pray that you give Pastor Huber the words to reveal to us the persons and events that unfolded to bring to us a Savior. Give us the clarity to receive the message and to grow in our relationship with you. Father, we thank you for this day and pray that all we do be to your honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So let us continue with song and follow the program as you will see in your bulletin. Well, why don't we take our hymn books and you can uh, join me in standing and let's sing our first hymn together, Angels from the Realms of Glory. I just love the chorus of this song. Come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ the newborn King. Let's sing together.
invite you to be seated and let's sing together number 131. Lo, how a rose. 131. We greet you with a reading from the Holy Scriptures, Psalm 96. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord, bless his name. Show forth his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory, do his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. 
Fear before him all the earth. Say among the heathen that the Lord reigneth. The world also shall be established that it shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. Let the heavens rejoice, and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar, and the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful, and all that is therein. Then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice before the Lord. For he cometh, for he cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness, and the people with his truth. Here is a reading of scripture found in Isaiah 9, verses 2 to 7. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They they that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation, and not increased the joy. They joy before thee, according to the joy in harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise, and garments rolled in blood, but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. This zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. This very familiar and well-known reading is found in the book of Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. And this is also the scripture passage that Pastor Dean will base his message on this morning. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was, while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, 
Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, the angels were gone away from them into heaven. The shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which had been told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and pondered them. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. And now please bow your head and join with me in prayer. Our Lord God and Heavenly Father, we give thanks that in your great mercy and compassion you sent your dear Son to become incarnate and through him redeemed us from sin and eternal death. Lord, we ask you to grant us peace, peace in our homes, peace in our churches, and peace in our hearts, especially when it feels like the world all around us spins out of control. Thank you for loving the whole world enough to send the greatest gift, your Son, so we might truly have a very Merry Christmas, even in a not-so-merry kind of world. Enlighten our hearts by your Holy Spirit, O Lord, that we may always be thankful for your grace and be comforted in all trouble, and at last rest in the assurance of your eternal salvation through your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one true God, now and forever. Amen. Let's take our hymn books and turn to number 130, Silent Night. And I see that the German words are there also. Sing in the language of your choice.
Our scripture text this morning from the book of Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Christ's birth announced to Mary. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her, who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the main servant, maid servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. May God bless the reading of his holy word to your heart. We were able to participate in wonderful singing, able to listen to wonderful singing also, and also the scripture that has been read, and to see that we come together to worship the one on the throne. And he came first as a babe into this world to identify with us. He was a man just like us. He understood our infirmities, and he came to give his life Truly, he was the Son of God, is the Son of God, and he is the one that will be turning one day when he comes the second time. Back in 1921, a missionary couple named David and Sive Flood went with their two-year-old son from Sweden to the heart of Africa to what was then called the Belgian Congo. They met up with, a young, with another young Scandinavian couple, the Ericsons and the four of them sought God's direction, and in the days of much tenderness and devotion and sacrifice, they felt led of the Lord to set out from the main mission station and take the gospel to a remote area. This was a huge step of faith. 
At the village of Nodorla, they were rebuffed by the chief, who would not let them enter his own town for fear of alienating the local gods. The two couples opted to go halfway up a half or to, pardon me, opted to go half a mile up the slope and build their own mud huts. They prayed for a spiritual breakthrough, but there was none. The only contact with the village was a young boy who was allowed to sell them chickens and eggs twice a week. Sevilla Flood, a tiny woman only four foot eight inches tall, decided that if this was the only African she could talk to, she would try to lead this boy to Jesus. And in fact, she succeeded. But there were no other encouragements. Meanwhile, malaria continued to strike one member of the little band after another. At times, the, in time, the Ericsons decided that they had enough suffering and left to return to the central mission statement. David and Sevia Flood remained near Nordora to go on alone. Then all of a sudden, Sevilla found herself pregnant in the middle of this primitive wilderness. When the time came for her to give birth, the village chief softened enough to allow a midwife to help her. A little girl was born, and they named her Ana. The delivery, however, was exhausting, and Sevilla Flood was already weak from a bout of malaria. The birth process was a heavy blow to her stamina. She lasted only another 17 days. Inside David Flood, inside David Flood, something snapped in that moment. He dug a crude grave, buried his 27-year-old wife, and then took her children back down the mountain to the mission station. Giving his newborn daughter to the Ericsons, he snarled, I'm going back to Sweden. I've lost my wife, and obviously I can't take care of this baby. God has ruined my life. And with that, he headed for the port, rejecting not only his calling, but God himself. Within eight months, both the Ericsons were stricken with a mysterious malady and died within days of each other. The baby was then turned over to some American missionaries who adjusted her name to Aggie and eventually brought her back to the United States at the age of three. This family loved the little girl and were afraid that if they tried to return to Africa, some legal obstacles might separate them from her. So they decided to stay in in their home country and switch from missionary work to pastoral work. And this is how Aggie grew up in South Dakota. As a young woman, she attended North Central Bible College in Minneapolis. There she met and married a young man named Dewey Hurst. Years passed. The Hursts enjoyed a fruitful ministry. Aggie gave birth to a daughter and then to a son. In time, her husband became the president of a Christian college in Seattle area. And Aggie 
um, was intrigued to find so much Scandinavian heritage there. And one day, a Swedish religious magazine appeared in her mailbox. She had no idea who had sent it, and of course, she couldn't read a word. But she also turned the pages, and all of a sudden, a photo stopped her cold. There, in the primitive setting, was a grave with a white cross, and on the cross were the words, Sevilla Flood. Aggie jumped in her car and went straight to the college faculty members, who she knew could translate the article. What does it say? She asked. The instructor summarized the story. It was about a missionaries who had come to Nadora long ago, the birth of a white baby, the death of a young mother, the one little African boy who had been led to Christ, and how after whites had left, the boy had grown up and finally persuaded the chief to let him build a school in that village. The article said that gradually he won all the students to Christ. The children led the parents to Christ, and even the chief had become a Christian. Today there were over 600 believers in that one village, all because of the sacrifice of David and Sivea Flood. The Hearst's 25th wedding anniversary... Or pardon me, for the Hearst 25th wedding anniversary, the college presented them with the gift of a vacation to Sweden. There Aggie sought to find her real father, an old man now. David Flood had remarried, fathered four more children, and generally dissipated his life in a life of alcohol. He had recently suffered a stroke, Still bitter, he had one rule in his family. Never mention the name God, because God took everything away from me. After an emotional reunion with her half-brothers and half-sister, Aggie brought up the subject of seeing her father. The others hesitated. You can talk to him, they replied, even though he's very ill now. But you need not answer or talk about God because he flies in the rage every time. Aggie was not to be detoured. She walked into the squalid apartment with liquor bottles everywhere and approached the 73-year-old lying in a rumpled bed. Papa, she said tentatively. He turned and began to cry. Aina, he said, I never meant to give you away. It's all right, Papa, she replied, taking him gently in her arms. God took care of me. The man instantly stiffened. The tears stopped. God forgot all about us. Our lives have been like our lives have been like this because of him. He turned his back to the wall. Or he turned his face back to the wall. Aggie stroked his face and then continued undaunted. Papa, I have got a little story to tell you, and it's a true one. 
You didn't go to Africa in vain. Mama Mama didn't die in vain. The little boy you won to the Lord grew up to win the whole village to Christ. The one, the one seed you planted just kept on growing and growing and growing. Today there are 600 African people serving the Lord because you were faithful to the call of God in your life. Papa, Jesus loves you. He has never hated you. The old man turned back to look into his daughter's eyes. His body relaxed. He began to talk. And by the end of the afternoon, he had come back to God and, and had to God and the, all the years that he had resented for what had happened. Over the next few days, father and daughter enjoyed warmness together. Aggie and her husband soon had to return to America within a few weeks. David Flood had gone into eternity. After a few years later, the Hearst were attending a high-level evangelism conference in London, England, when a report was given from the nation of Zaire, the former Belgian Congo. The superintendent of the national church, representing now 110,000 baptized believers, spoke eloquently of the gospel spread in the nation. Aggie could not help going to ask him afterwards if he had ever heard of the names of David and Sevilla Flood. Yes, madam, the man replied in French, his words then being translated into English. It was Sevilla Flood who led me to Jesus Christ. I was a boy who brought food to your parents before you were born. In fact, to this day, your mother's grave and memory are honored by all of us. He embraced her in a long, sobbing hug. Then he continued, You must must come to Africa to see, because your mother is the most famous person in our history. In time, that is exactly what Aggie Hurst and her husband did. They were welcomed by the cheering throng of villagers. She even met the man who had been hired by her father years before to carry her back down the mountain in a hammock cradle. The most dramatic moment, of course, was when the pastor escorted Aggie to her mother's white cross for to see for herself. She knelt there in the soil and prayed and gave thanks. John chapter, or pardon me, later that day in the church, the pastor read from John chapter 12, verse 24. I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. He then followed to read Psalm chapter 126, verse 5. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. Close quote. 
There is one thing that we know for sure, and that is this. God always uses people and events to bring the good news of salvation to others. God always uses peoples and events to bring the good, good news to others. The way that it happened on that very first Christmas morning in the gospel according to Luke that was read to us in the second chapter, we learn about the persons and the events God used to bring a savior to this world, to you and to I. The persons and the events God used to bring a savior to the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we pause before you, realize that people were the object of your love when you came into this world. And those who you win to yourself, you also ask them to go and proclaim to others. And we all become part of the messengers of the greatest story in the world, Jesus Christ coming to give his life as a ransom for each one of us. I pray, Heavenly Father, once more, that as we look into the scriptures this morning, you'd give us understanding that you use people and events to pray, proclaim the good tidings to others. I pray now, enlighten our hearts and make us people proclaimers of the good word and the new birth to others. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. The person and the events God uses to bring us a savior. Number one, he used Caesar Augustus and a census. He used Caesar Augustus and a census. Caesar Augustus, although a pagan, probably had no idea that God was using him as a Roman emperor to help usher in the Savior of the world. He probably never understood any of this. Though through his political astuteness and military strength, he had put an end to the terrible civil wars which raged uncontrollably and made it unsafe for the world. He gave the world a period of peace that allowed the Old Testament revelation to be fulfilled and help Christians spread the gospel worldwide. However, the Jews were not impressed by the Roman rule. They, they, have, they have been exempted from military service, but they were all required to pay taxes. Although they may have hated the Roman Empire, Caesar was very good because he gave every consideration to the Jewish national customs. Furthermore, he allowed them to travel to their native city when he taxed these people. Since God is outside of time, and he is sovereign over everything that happens. He used, uh, he used Caesar in helping to facilitate an environment that was favorable for the birth of a Redeemer. Yes, God used him, and he didn't even know the Lord. We must remember that the Old Testament revelation was complete now. John the Baptist, the forerunner, was born, and now Christ could make his entrance into the world in the exact time God sent his son, in the exact time. 
God used Caesar and his taxation census to get Mary and Joseph to the expected place they needed to be for the prophecy of Micah 5.2 to be fulfilled. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, and out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose, whose origins are from old, from ancient times." This brings us to the second step. In order to bring a savior into the world, God used number two, Joseph and Mary and their long journey to pay the taxes. God used Joseph and Mary to pay, on the long journey to pay the taxes. I don't think Joseph and Mary understood how this long journey to pay the taxes would be used to, by God to fulfill his will. Although Joseph knew that Mary was to carry the Messiah by this time, he probably was a little annoyed with the Roman Empire. The taxation law forced Mary to travel at a volatile and a dangerous time. They could end up losing this very baby. Nonetheless, they had no choice in the matter. They traveled to Bethlehem because both Joseph and Mary's lineage was from the line of David. Moreover, the Jews from the earliest times kept records from which tribe they descended. So it was no problem for any Jew to know which city or town they needed to pay the tax and to register and to register for the census. Isn't it interesting to see how God used the inconveniences and the distasteful tax to get Mary and and Joseph to the right town at the right time so Christ could be born? Think with me. Think with me for a moment. How many times does God use distasteful things to get us to the place where he wants us to be? Remember that God is in control even when our circumstances may be inconvenient, unpleasant, and even disgusting. That's why we have to learn to trust God in all events. Mary and Joseph did just that. God ordains our steps. And next we find, in order to bring a Savior into the world, God used, number three, an innkeeper in a busy season. God used an innkeeper in a busy season. If anyone's going to take a bad rap at Christmas time or in the Christmas story, it's surely going to be the innkeeper. The scripture says that there was no room for him, no room for Christ in the inn. The census and the taxation were no doubt a financial windfall for the innkeepers, as well as the extra load, as well as an extra load of stress. Every room in the town was booked, but not everyone was happy. I'm sure there must have been many who came and demanded a room. There were many who were upset because they were being turned away. They were upset and perturbed, to say the least. 
Who knows, by the time that Mary and Joseph arrived, there may have been scores of people who have been turned away because this was the place where everyone was coming who needed to uh, register for the census. However, we must remember that the innkeeper and the inhabitants of Bethlehem turned Christ away in ignorance while we today turn Christ away in willful indifference. The people were so busy with life, trying to make a living, just etching it out, that they had no place or time for the eternal king. The sad part is that no one knew who they were turning away from at that time. In our society today, we have no excuse Norval Gedenheis says this of our society. They give no place to him in their feelings, their affections, their thoughts, their views of life, their decisions, their actions, or their daily conduct. And thus they deny themselves the greatest privilege of all and cure and incur the greatest loss to their lives. Close quote. As believers in Christ, we can't let ourselves get so busy that we end up barring Christ from some of the rooms in our lives. Think about it. We've come to Christ. We've made a decision to follow him. We've given him our lives, and yet we have closed certain doors, and we give him access to this over here, but not to this over here. I will give you this room, Lord, and this and this, and you're free in here. But over here, I want this room still for myself. We may have committed our lives to Christ, But does he have access to every room in our heart today? As we can see in every dimension in the Christmas story, God used people and events to bring a Savior into a world. Next, number four, God used shepherds watching sheep to come and celebrate. God used shepherds watching sheep to come and celebrate. The shepherds were considered the lowest class people at the bottom of the totem pole. They held no honor or prestige, yet these lowly people were the first that God had come to tell the good news. They were the first in line to tell about a Savior's birth. Once again, God, God demonstrates that his, his, he works contrary to the world's value. When the eternal king was born, he did not make his appearance in, palace, in a palace, and it was not announced to the elite in the society. Instead, God looked for people who were humble and who had open hearts. How do we know that the shepherds were humble and had open hearts? The answer is that when the angels told them where Jesus was born, they not only went and saw the Christ child, but they went and they spread the word. They didn't care what others thought about them. Maybe perhaps we're scared to share the word with certain people. We're scared that people might think we're nuts or quackery. But yet, 
When we do, we come at it from a humble place. These shepherds were keeping watch over their flocks somewhere out in the, in the field near Bethlehem. This is the same place where the King David, as a boy, kept his sheep. When God called David through Samuel to anoint him king, all of David's brothers said, Oh, well, you're just a shepherd. You're just a shepherd. These brothers had no faith in shepherds, similar to the people of Christ's time. They had really no faith or esteem for the shepherds back then. However, the most crucial part is that God had faith in these ordinary, humble individuals who had open hearts. God had faith in these ordinary shepherds, and he came to them first. As we see, as we can see, God used many people and events to bring a savior. He used Caesar and the census. He used Joseph and Mary and a long journey. He used an innkeeper in a busy season and shepherds watching their sheep. Finally, the person and events God used to bring us a savior, number five, heavenly hosts praising God, heavenly posts praising God. These angels were not people. Rather, they were beings from the realms of glory who played a part, the most significant part, in the announcement. Christ's coming was not only going to affect time, but this would also have an impact on all of eternity. Luke chapter 2, verses 13 through 14 says, Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favors pardon me, rests. The scripture doesn't say that they say. It doesn't say that. But we know that they rejoiced. The angels rejoiced because this was the birth of the promised redeemer who would save their people, save the people from their sins. This was planned from eternity past, before the foundation of the world was laid. The angels proclaimed the glory to God in the highest. When God sent his son, it was God's ultimate display of love to a sinful world. It cost God everything. And the angels understood this reality, not because they experienced it themselves, because they haven't experienced salvation, but from watching God and from knowing who he was. And they knew how much God loved people. The angels played a part in announcing this unique and extraordinary event. And they declared their praises to the Most High. All of heaven praised God as the glorious King made his entrance. Once again, in this passage of scripture, God used five different types of persons and events to bring us a desperately needed Savior. He used Caesar and the census. Joseph and Mary on a long journey, an innkeeper in a busy season, 
shepherds watching sheep, and finally angels proclaiming the announcement. Here's the question that we have to ask ourselves. Which type of person or combination of person are you and I this morning? That we come before God and we bring the salvation message to others. Are you like Caesar, who played a role but don't even know him? Are you like Mary and Joseph, who are willing to put up with the inconvenience to be obedient? Are you like the innkeeper, who is so busy that you have no time or room for the Savior? Are you like the shepherds who are so excited about hearing the good news of a Savior that they make haste out to tell everyone? Are you like the angels who can't stop declaring God praises and praises for the newborn infant who has come into this world who is God in the flesh? Which person or combination of persons are you this morning?
I'm going to ask that you stand with me at this time. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. It says this, But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we may receive full rights as sons. Heavenly Father, thank you that so many years ago, many even before the foundations of the world were laid, you had a plan that you would create man. And when he fell, that you would bring your son or bring redemption through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, dear Jesus, that you came as a babe, that you left your throne behind to come and identify with us and to fully understand that what we go through and yet to live a perfect life and to give your life as a ransom for many. Heavenly Father, may we worship you and the Christ child this morning as we sing our praises and our glories unto you and you alone. May you be exalted in our midst and may we live a life that reflects you in everything we do and say. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. And you may be seated. If we want to hear the Friedens First, then we have to sing it. So you're the choir. Uh, there are words in your bulletins and ushers, come on in. Some of you would prefer a copy of music. We have copies of music, so hope, put your hand up if you'd like a copy of music, and you'll get one. Just put up your hand, hold it up. If you don't, they'll pass you by. <laughs> Whoever wants one, Agatha over there.